0: I'd invite Eva to come forward to uh, share the homily with us today. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. This is one of my favorite gospel stories for lots of reasons. One of those reasons, an outsider, someone who might have been shunned by respectable church people, is approached by Jesus and he asks her for help. Another reason, he treats her as an intelligent person, entering into a theological conversation with her. And he tells her who he is. Jesus did not do that very often. And when he did, if you notice, if you read it in the Gospels, every time he said who he was, it was always to women. This woman, a non-Jew, with a lot of baggage, becomes one of the first evangelists. Because she went back into the city and told all of her friends that she had met the Messiah, look what happened. They asked him to stay two more days. Here's the scene. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Galilee, and the shortest route goes through Samaria. Even though most Jews avoid having anything to do with Samaritans, they don't really have much choice unless they want to go miles out of their way. When Jesus and his disciples reach Sychar, it's about noon. They're hot, hungry, and thirsty. Jesus decides to give himself a break and sends the others into town to buy something to eat. I can just hear the grumbling, can't you? I'm sure the last thing they wanted to do was barter for provisions with a bunch of Samaritans. Meanwhile, Jesus sits down at the edge of the well and rests his feet. It wasn't just any well. It was Jacob's well, a well-known local landmark. Might have had a little brass plaque on it. John the writer of the gospel, never misses a beat. It's important that the well signifies the shared history of Samaritans and Jews, just as belief in a Messiah does. And of course, the story parallels the patriarchal narrative about Eliezer and Rebecca, who, of course, was Jacob's mother. I love the way all these threads connect in the Bible a woman approaches. Odd time of the day to be drawing water. As we all know, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun, especially if you're in the Middle East. In the Mediterranean world, nobody goes out in the midday sun. They stay home in the shade until evening. But she must have had a reason for being there at that time. It's generally assumed that she is not considered a respectable woman and avoids public contact. At any rate, Jesus would have gotten the signal that her life was not a bed of roses. Ignoring social custom, he initiates a conversation and breaks the ice by asking her for a drink of water. When she gets over her shock... She asks him why he, a Jew, would ask a Samaritan, let alone an unchaperoned woman of ill repute, for anything. Now we get the famous conversation that most of us learned in Sunday school. Jesus tells her that if she knew who he was, she would ask him and he would give her living water. If she drinks it, she will never thirst again. She plays along and makes the obvious observation that he has no bucket. And where would he get that living water? Surely he doesn't think he's greater than, and then she pulls out the trump card, right? Greater than Jacob, their common ancestor. And he says he ignores her attempt at one-upmanship and continues to inform her that she's not just talking. He's not just talking about ordinary water. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, no matter who their ancestors are. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. She's intrigued. And it doesn't matter whether or not she's being sarcastic. She still asks the all-important question. She asks him to give her that living water. But then Jesus does something unexpected. He changes the subject. He doesn't give her a straight answer. There's more to her story, and he's teasing it out. He changes course and asks her to bring her husband out to meet him. She could have prevaricated, beat around the bush, but she doesn't. She tells the truth. Sort of. She has no husband. I can imagine Jesus smiling at her as he responds, You're right. You've had five of them. But the man you're with now is not your husband gotcha. She replies in amazement that she realizes he must be a prophet. Well, she changes her tone now. This guy really is a prophet. This guy is an important person. She has the ear of a prophet. Now's the time to ask a question that's been troubling her. She wants to know the truth. Who has the truth? Her ancestors worshipped here, but Jews worship in Jerusalem. So she says, where are we supposed to worship? Here at J- here, in, here where Jacob's well is? Or there in Jerusalem where the Jews say we're supposed to go? Jesus tells her that place doesn't matter. Now this is significant because for them, place did matter. It was really important. And he's saying, no, it's not. What matters is that salvation comes from the Jews, but it's through their common ancestor, Abraham. And here he acknowledges that, yeah, she's right. She was right to talk about Jacob and their common ancestor. He says, yeah, touche. We have a common ancestor. True worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. From the depth of their being and in absolute sincerity, no one any better than any other. All equal in the eyes of God. It's not about who you are or your ancestry. It's about the heart. She's struggling and starts to back off. Oh well, when Messiah comes, we'll have all the answers. Then he drops the bombshell. You're looking at him. Just at that moment, the disciples return. John would have made a great dramatist. They don't say anything, but I can imagine their disapproving looks would have said it all. The woman is oblivious. She's so excited about the news that she forgets all about her water jar. Another nice dramatic touch. She really has found something far better than the water from Jacob's well. Her self-consciousness vanishes and she races off to the city to spread the word. What a story. For years I've read it and pondered and contemplated what was really going on. What is living water anyway? Is it eternal life? Is it transformation? Is it a relationship? Is it inner peace? Well, I think John gives us a clue when he slips in that little detail about her leaving behind the empty water jar. Jesus isn't just offering to give something here. He's offering to take something away. He takes away her thirst. He takes away her fear of criticism. He takes away her prejudice. He takes away her fear of having her secrets revealed. As I said before, John never misses a beat. Remember the words in chapter 3? The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. All who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light. When Jesus offers, What Jesus offers is freedom, release of the captives from prison, Freedom from worry, freedom from want, freedom from fear. In fact, if we were to distill all the teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables, the discourse in the upper room, we would come up with this one thing freedom. It's a message as old as time. God offers to lead his people out of slavery into new life. St. Ignatius describes the Christian pilgrimage as a gradual walking away from the attachments of this world. What do you worry about? One of the current media crazes has been to make baby boomers worry about what we're going to live on when we retire. You want to worry about something? Just read the headlines in the newspaper of your newsfeed every day. I worry about what others think of me. I worry about being good enough. I worry about people, my children, the sick, my friends. I worry about war, paying bills, obligations. I worry all the time. And yet I know the teachings of Jesus. I know that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as well as the lilies of the field. I know the hairs of my head are numbered. But I still worry. So, I'm still on my pilgrimage. I've come a long way. But I'm not quite ready to leave my water jar behind. Not just yet. But I'm getting there. Jesus promises to give me living water. I know that if I can just put down that empty jug, I'll never be thirsty again. And I come closer to being able to do it every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us living water. We thank you that you offer us freedom. And I pray that each and every one of us here can learn how to set down our water jugs and allow you to lead us ahead. Give us your peace which passes all understanding. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Eva. That was, that was brilliant. And such a blessing. Uh, I'd invite us all now to stand.